whispering, that's for sure. I'm not much of a whisperer. My wife has told me that many times. Okay, so uh, this is the first of the Home Builders class. This is going to be kind of a introduction for Home Builders. Um, so I don't want you guys to get the expectation that this class is only for parenting or only for someone who is married. It is not going to be that. It is going to have that inside of it. We will reference those at different points. Um, this class in and of itself, we are going to, the core of this class, we're going to look at each of the Ten Commandments and how it applies to our life. And the specificity of what I talk about it applying for is going to be raising children, um, having relationships and things of that nature. But we will we will spray to all fields in how we look at this, all right? I don't want this class to solely be a lecture class. So if you guys have uh, any questions, if we want to discuss anything in here as, as, it, um, as it relates to one of these points, please just raise your hand and feel free, right? This isn't a college lecture class. Um, I, I, I'm not going to feel offended if I get interrupted, nor is it going to throw me off course, all right? I um, am not one where I write bullet points and then talk for an hour, right? I have my entire lesson is completely written out every week. So technically, it wouldn't even have to be me up here teaching it. The way I have it written out, anybody could teach these notes, right? Um, so it's not going to throw me off course if you, you know, interrupt the class to ask a question. I would rather you ask the question and understand what we're talking about um, than just keep it inside and, and never ask it, right? Because especially when you're talking about things that may not be familiar to you, um, and the Ten Commandments are one of those things that they are familiar to us in an unfamiliar way. People say, um, well, even in the Bible we see that, that the Ten Commandments laid down certain rules. One, for example, thou shalt not kill. And then, however, even in the Bible we see that um, an individual, Jesus had to tell an individual, look, uh, even if you get angry at someone, that is equated with murder because there even wasn't an understanding there. So what I don't want is for anyone as I'm going through these to not have a clear understanding of what we're talking about. So feel free at any time to raise your hand and ask a question, right? Um, this class is not given by any means because I think that I am some expert on parenting or marriage. Um, it, is, it is given because I know that God is an expert on parenting and marriage, and I am gleaning things from his word. I'm extrapolating things from God's word and then just giving them to you in this class. These are things that many of them I'm still working on myself as well. That being said, I do have one great burning ambition in my life. And apart from maintaining a, a personal devotional love for the Lord Jesus Christ, the ambition, the desire, that objective is that my family, my wife, and my children that they know and they love the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and that they love one another. Now, yeah, it is tough at times to love people that are unlovable. And I know sometimes that I hear the yells and the, the pushes and the slamming of doors on their brothers and sisters at each other um, because they, in and of themselves to each other, can be unlovable. 
but what I want to instill in them is that the Lord Jesus Christ loves us even when we are unlovable. Therefore, how much more so should we love one another um, because we are unlovable? Psalm 112, verse 1 through 2 says, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. The prayer and desire of my heart closely related to that is described in 3 John uh, chapter 1, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. We as parents, we as grandparents, we as individuals, let's just be honest, even if you have no kids, no grandkids, you as an adult in this church today have little kids that are scurrying around this church at all times. They look up to you because you are an adult. In that, you have influence over them. When we have influence over them, we need to take this very seriously. My personal desire is that I want my family, like most of you, I am sure, to be a successful family. I want my home to be a home that wins. I don't measure success by the Bs, right? Which is brains, bucks, beauty, brawn. I, I don't... I don't measure success in my family by those things. Sometimes those things can be the killer bees, if I'm being honest. My heart's desire is that my family love God and love one another. And that while they are doing it, they will be an example to bring the loss of Jesus Christ. As people observe my family, I want them to observe Christ in my family. And again, that should be the want for any family. This series is written to give the family some weapons for the warfare. We are constantly in warfare today as, as Christians. The world is a battlefield for Christians. And the chief weapon in our arsenal is truth. The truth that brings a fixed standard of right and a fixed standard of what is wrong. And that truth is encapsulated in the Ten Commandments. We have, if the Bible is the instruction booklet, right? The Ten Commandments are that cheat sheet, right? Like the instruction booklet for dummies. It's just ten bullet points, right? I'm afraid that our generation, though, has thought to themselves that these Ten Commandments are something that are old, right? Like, uh, you know, like, like, like old tube TVs, like black and white television, right? They think of them like they're something that's old. But I want to encourage you... To, to take the Ten Commandments in as we go through this series for the next 12 or so weeks, what I want you to do is I want you to look at these Ten Commandments with an open mind, not coming in with any preconceived notions like you see individuals in the Bible doing, like the rich young ruler and such. What I want you to do is I want you to come to this class with an open mind, like you're hearing them for the first time. These commandments are not accidental. They're not incidental. These commandments are fundamental to us as Christians. I am told that a salesman was driving through the country trying to get to a certain city. He came to a fork in the road, and he stopped to question a farmer. Does it make any difference which one of these roads I take, he said. The farmer answered, not to me it doesn't, right? I'm afraid that many Americans, many politicians, preachers, teachers, I'm afraid that a lot of them feel the same way today. I can tell you, however, that when it comes to righteousness and truth, it makes a great deal of difference which road we take. It does make a difference. The 
Ten Commandments were given primarily to the home. And they were they are to be taught by the fathers, to the children, and to the grandchildren. And we're going to see that later on in this series. These commandments are, are rock solid. They're ironclad. But they are not cold. And they're not restrictive. At least they're not meant to be. We as humans sometimes make them to be that way. Again, we see the biblical examples of that. Properly understood, these Ten Commandments will be liberating laws for your life. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That's why Romans 8.4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Don't be afraid of God's law. God's holy law is not a bad thing. Don't let legalism make the law a burden. Don't allow license to make the law an, an irrelevancy. In legalism, the law is the master. In license, the law is my enemy. In liberty, though, in liberty, the way that we should be living as Christians, in liberty, the law is my friend. So, in that, Let's go to the first lesson here. This lesson is entitled, It Takes God to Make a Home. It Takes God to Make a Home. I read an article the other day entitled, Shame. Under the title was a question. How do we bring back a sense of right and wrong in our country today? Now that's quite a topic for a secular press to be tackling, right? Wouldn't you think? Um, the secular press trying to take on the the topic of how can we make our country better. In an accompanying sidebar article, a man named Kenneth Woodward writes, 90% of Americans say that they believe in God, yet the urgent sense of personal sin has all but disappeared in the current upbeat style in American religion. In earlier eras, ministers regularly exhorted congregations to humbly confess our sins, but the aging baby boomers who are rushing back to church don't want to hear that sermon. That they don't want to hear sermons that might rattle their self-esteem. And many clergy who are competing in a buyer's market feel they cannot afford to alienate people. Now, that, I believe, that does sound like our country today. And unfortunately, it's things that if you're looking at the landscape of America today, it's what you have seen. Now, if we're losing the battle for basic decency and subsequently for our homes, then somebody better be rattling our self-esteem. Look at the things that are happening in our country today. They're happening because we as Christians are afraid to say anything. If we do, we text it or post it on social media, and that's where it ends. We're afraid to go out and say it in, in person. We're afraid to go hand a tract at a door. And we're afraid to hurt people's feelings. This is a problem of fundamental values, ladies and gentlemen. No wonder our young people are so confused today. It's no wonder. I feel sorry for today's youth. Which brings me to my second alliteration. I saw a young man walking home, uh, or walking while I was driving home from work the other day. I suppose he was about 18 years of age or so, I'm not sure. He had a full gambit. He had all the piercings all over his face, all over everything. He had a lot of facial hair. He had dreadlocks that were down to the middle of his back. 
and he was wearing a t-shirt that said, I am not scared, I am not afraid, I am an animal. I will eat you alive if I have to, no fear. It was one of those no fear shirts. I don't know if anyone's seen those before. Those were big when I was in school. I didn't know that they started coming out with them again. Um, now, I have seen these no fear shirts before. I, they, they came out, I remember them coming out when I was in high school. Uh, people used to wear them in sports all the time. Um, and that's what caused caught my attention besides his appearance when I was driving by. This young man wanted the world to know that he was not afraid. He was, he, was, he was literally putting it as a billboard on his shirt. But you know something? I think that this young man was very much afraid. I think he was very much afraid. We have a cat in our house that when our puppy comes around, our cat will, its tail is going to puff up to like eight times its normal size. And it makes this ungodly noise that I've never heard before. But the reason that this cat puffs up is because she's actually afraid of that dog, right? And Or at least afraid in that moment. And she's puffing up to try and make that dog think that it's bigger than it is or that the cat isn't afraid, but the cat is very afraid. This generation may talk big, but fundamentally, it experiences a great deal of fear. And much of that fear is homemade. So we're raising a generation of young people who feel like animals. And unfortunately, we see today that that generation of animals is ready to eat us alive. And why shouldn't they? I mean, they've been systematically taught that they are animals, and they were not created in the image of God, that instead they were um, an accident of nature, some primordial ooze, and their ancestors walked out of it. Um, with this kind of animal mindset, it's, it's, it's any wonder that our children and our young people often behave like animals. More than 200,000 of our young people are incarcerated today. Around 200,000 teenage girls in America are going to give birth this year. Even more will get pregnant and then murder those babies via abortion. And more than 10 million minors are infected with some sort of STD. That is a staggering number. It doesn't sound like our homes are very successful. I mean, it doesn't to me. But the thesis and the, the, and the heart of this lesson is that we can have homes that are successful. We can have homes that can win. Homes not merely surviving, but homes that can be thriving. God has a plan to give us successful homes. It's given to us in his word and it's communicated in divine shorthand in these Ten Commandments. His perfect law. If we want to have homes that win, we can rediscover God's will as, as revealed in his Ten Commandments. That's my primary goal for this lesson, to give you a strategy and a plan to transport God's perfect plan for the home from these pages of Scripture into your life and into your family. Obviously, biblical instructions on the home are not confined to the Ten Commandments. There's many throughout. But in this series, our focus is going to be primarily on the crucial and the foundational section of, word, of the Word of God, the Ten Commandments. This is not the totality of God's commandments on the subject, but I think it's a good starting point for us. Many of our young people today could not recite the Ten Commandments. Like I said before, it's gone the way of the black and white TV for them, the 8-track. Um, it's gone that way for them. They think it's something that's old and outdated. Many times you'll see individuals 
debating things on TV, and they say, well, that was the Old Testament. I don't look at the Old Testament. I only look at the New Testament. Well, then you're missing half of the instructions. Today, kids have computers in their bedrooms. They have, we carry around supercomputers in our pocket. There's more computing power in here than there was in the computers that sent somebody to the moon for the first time. We carry them around in our pocket and play Candy Crush on them. However, uh, our kids are becoming roadkill on the information superhighway. There's a war going on in America, a battle for the soul for our nation. The battleground is our home. And the issue is truth. Satan has sinned all, um, Satan's aimed all the artillery of hell at our homes, and every shell of the artillery is a lie. Every single one. Satan's chief weapon is deception. The devil would rather peddle a lie than, than a barrel of whiskey or a kilo of illegal drugs any day. He would love that. Because a lie can live on forever. Those drugs, that alcohol, that can be consumed. A lie can live on and grow forever. Satan would rather you believe a wrong thing than do a wrong thing. He is the sinister minister of destruction. And why is that? Because a lie is the most dangerous thing on the face of the earth. It is the antithetical uh, to God. Who is the truth and who is the word of truth. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Satan is a publisher of lies because the thought um, is the father of the deed. And if he can get a nation to move away from truth, and he doesn't do it in one big step. He, he does it incrementally, little by little, to where we as a country, look at how it's gone. If you would have looked in the 1920s, 1930s, until we are now, God, Satan did not take us from where we were in the 1920s to where we are here in the year 2019 in one big step. He's taken us incrementally and incrementally incrementally and individuals who remember the days when there was some sort of standards in our country look at that and say how did we get here the answer is you got here step by step right you got here by giving a little here and giving a little there and budging a little here and budging a little there that's how we got to where we are today recent polls indicate that the majority of americans no longer believe in absolute truth they just don't think it exists and here's the frightening thing. Some 62% of the people who call themselves evangelical Bible believers say that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Crazy. Now you can begin to see why our generation has lost its standards, its moorings, its moral compass. We now have morality by majority, and the result is chaos in our society today. But it's not lost on me that, some, that, that to some people, the Ten Commandments um, may still have some sort of a glimmer of hope. As we begin to study, my challenge to you is to hear and to heed them like they were new, preparing the way. In the lessons that follow, we're going to look at each of the Ten Commandments in detail. And at the end of each lesson, I'm going to give you some specific ideas to help you communicate God's truth to your family. But before... We hone in on Exodus 20, which is where we find the Ten Commandments. I want to show you how vital this is and prepare the way by considering that many people believe to be the most important passage in all the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. 
This includes the great Shema of Israel, where Moses tells us how we are to observe and to teach God's commandments. Something hit me like a hammer when I was pondering this passage in the preparation for all these studies, and it's, it clearly shows how God wants to communicate the Ten Commandments to his people. All right, are you ready for it? It's very simple. He wants to communicate it from Father to Son. Not via text, not on social media, not in your Bible app, not the, not the uh, evangelist on TV. It's from Father to Son. It's that simple. It's supposed to be that simple. God made it that simple for a reason. Because we are dumb. Right? Because we lose our way. Because we mess things up. The Ten Commandments were not meant to be taught primarily in the public schools, the halls of government, the bedrooms of business, or the boardrooms of business. These places may as well be. I mean, they in and of themselves are not bad. They're good. And the truth of God is certainly needed at these places but they are not God's ideal plan. The primary setting for the communication of the Ten Commandments is the home. With that in mind, let's consider the teachings and the applications of this awesome text. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell address to the people of Israel just before they entered the Promised Land, right, right before. He was reminding the people of God's dealings with them, and he was preparing them to live in a way that would please God and guarantee them a great future or any future better than what they had already had. Moses knew that God's answer to the chaos of pagan society was the family. He knew that. He knew that they were going to face troubles, but the answer to those troubles was the family. And he wanted to strengthen and equip Israel's families so that they could stand strong in these times, so they could make sure that they were, had a rock-solid foundation to set the context of Deuteronomy chapter 6, we need to back up to chapter 5. If you want to turn there, it's fine. I'm just going to read one verse here real quick, and then we're going to go to chapter 6. In verses 6 through 21 of that chapter, Moses restates the Ten Commandments as he had received them from the Lord on Mount Sinai. In verse 29, Moses is speaking for God, and he says, Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me. And keep all my commandments, always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Let me tell you, it will not be well with us and with our children if we do not make some radical changes in our society today. Now, let's look back at what I had originally had you uh, turn to here. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, and keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee thou, and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it might be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. What God is saying here is that if you want your home and your nation to last, then take these commandments and hand them down from father to son. What a wonderful winning streak that would be. God's commandments begin by being handed down generation 
generation after generation. We need homes that succeed with God because our kids have lost something today. Just look at the kids today. They have lost something today. I'm very concerned about this generation that's growing up today. Take a look at what's going on. So many children and young people attend churches filled with just squishy theology. Where the authority of the word of God is questioned, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ is not being manifested in their lives or in the church's um, light to the world, in their testimony where the worship is empty, the worship is futile. James Madison is called the father of the American Constitution. Here is what he said about our nation. We have staked the whole future of American civilization, not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of our politics upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Look, the, the Founding Fathers are some of the smartest people that have ever lived. They knew it right then. It's right there. They knew it from the very beginning that our nation uh, was, was just starting out as this infant nation. They knew it right then. Madison said that America had staked everything on the ability of its people to govern themselves and control themselves according to the principles laid down in the Ten Commandments. That is an incredible statement. It, was, it, it wasn't a pulpit-pounding preacher who said that. It was the father of the Constitution of the United States who said that. But the Ten Commandments have been all but lost in our homes today. The Ten Commandments have been removed from America's schools and other public institutions. Who are we listening to today? We're not listening to James Madison, right? We're not listening to him. America's homes cannot hope to survive apart from the moral foundation of God's perfect word and what it provides. Now, here's what God says fathers and mothers are to do with the Ten Commandments in the home. Continuing from our passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, continuing in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thine soul, and with all thine might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in the house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as, as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on the gates. What a great truth that is. It is our responsibility to take charge of our own home. Embracing God's truth. Here is the great Shema, taken from the first word, here. Right, right in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, here. Israel's confession of faith. As I said earlier, the Jews consider this to be the most important passage in the book of Deuteronomy, if not the entire Bible. Orthodox Jews would repeat it at least twice a day, this passage right here. They would repeat it in the congregation. God says primarily to fathers, but also to mothers, teach my commandments to your children. Remember the background here. Moses has restated the Ten Commandments now in Deuteronomy. He's already given them in Exodus. He's restating them in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And now God tells the people through Moses to teach these truths to your children. 
We complain that the, that the Ten Commandments can no longer be posted in public places and that they're taking them down from courthouses and, they're and we can't say these things in schools. Can I just meddle for a second? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us have the Ten Commandments posted in our own house? I don't. How many of us have the Ten Commandments posted in our homes, in, in our minds? God told Moses, tell the people to put the laws upon the doorposts of their house. Everybody wants to post 10,000 memes about you know, statues and, and the Ten Commandments getting taken down from courthouses when we don't even have it in our own house. That's pretty hypocritical. And God says to fathers today, it is your responsibility, not the government's, not your kid's school, whether public, private, or home. It is not anyone else's responsibility to teach the commandments to your children. It is yours. It is your responsibility. It's our job, dads. I don't know where we got the idea that teaching God's word and spiritual truth to children has been assigned to the school or, or strictly women's work or, or whatever. The Bible always places the primary responsibility on the father. Always. Dads, the onus is on us. We cannot punt this ball to our wives or the governments or the school. It's up to us that the Ten Commandments are handed down to our children. Psalm 127 verse 4 says, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Fathers are God's warriors to launch their children like arrows straight and true into that bullseye. If you have ever tried to bend and, and string a large bow and, and those using archery competition, you know how hard that is to, to actually pull that bow back, right? Not the little flimsy ones that they have at like youth camps, right? But the real ones like for competition, those things are taut. It's even harder to pull the bow back and fire the arrow if, you've not, if you're not used to that. It takes strength, it takes skill. A father who wants to shoot straight as a warrior has to be strong and skilled. Dads can't fire their arrows straight unless they're developing their own spiritual, mental, and emotional strength. I am not going to be able to help my kids to be successful Christians if I am not a successful Christian. I can't teach my kids to do devotions if I'm not doing my devotions. I can't teach my kids to pray if I'm not praying. I can't teach my kids the importance of fellowship in church if I'm not at church. If I'm not willing to be here whenever the doors are open, my kids aren't going to be willing to be here whenever the doors are open. If I, What I find value in, my children will find value in. And there's one thing that I had a pastor before who said this, and I have kept this with me forever. On the opposite side of that, your vices, your sins, those things that you don't want anyone to maybe know that you're doing, right? What you do in moderation your children will do to excess. And I will tell you, I have, I've been a Christian now for, for a little bit of time, and I've seen that play out many times. And it doesn't always manifest itself when the kids are young and they're under your thumb. But as those kids get older, I've seen that happen many times to many kids who were in a youth group with me as their youth pastor. I've seen that happen many times where what their parents did in moderation, their children then do to excess later. Once again, 
you got to set your target. You need to fire the arrows. Arrows are not meant to be collected. They're meant to be projected. Our ultimate goal is to release our children spiritually and emotionally, not trying to keep them always in the quiver, right? Uh, I don't know many people who do, but some act like they do. They want their children to stay at home forever. That sounds exhausting to me, right? I love my children, but I want them to be gone someday. I want my wife to myself. I want to be able to do what I want. And I want them to be able to go out and get me grandkids or do whatever they're going to do. Like, I want them to go and do their own thing, right? But I want to, that's what children are meant to do. You're meant to raise them up and ship them out, right? All of this is primarily the responsibility of the father. And that's why I'm thankful for the renewed attention being focused on fatherhood today in a lot of studies, a lot of things that I've read and, and seen. Amazingly, all the studies and anecdotal evidence being gathered points out that what the Bible has taught for centuries, if a husband and a father is not the head of the family, the result can only be chaos. And you hear that today, especially from very, very conservative um, politicians, you can hear that being said, right? I've heard Ben Carson say that many, many times um, when talking about the, the, the way the homes are, are coming out, especially in minority communities. And I've heard him say that many times, and they are roasted for it. Just because God has ordained that a man has to be in charge of the home and that homes are broken, that, that sons and daughters will come up with issues if they don't have that father figure in the home to give them. They will search for that somewhere. Women usually search for it. Young girls will usually search for it in attention from men, usually sexually or some other way, um, because they have what we term today, the term is usually daddy issues. Guys will usually be violent or whatever, or they'll be effeminate because they don't have that example of a father in the home. And we have this example from the Bible of God telling us this is what we need. We need the father in the home. That does not mean that the mothers are worthless. It does not mean that you don't need a mom in the home or that moms are, are any less or more important. But everyone gets so hurt today. And, and, and we, we, we are running with our torches and our pitchforks saying, how dare you say that there has to be a father in the home? The mom can do just as good of a job. The mom can do a great job. But that's not what God set up. Like, it just isn't, right? Like, if, look, I lead music at this church, okay? I do a fine job. We sing the songs, I move my hand, the song plays, right? And we get through it every week. I am not a song leader, right? I don't know how to read musical notes. I, I just listen to it by ear and I figure it out. One day, I know for sure, hopefully, God is going to bring in some guy to this church who is a music maestro, right? And he's going to come in here, and he's going to know things. He's going to talk about people's pitch and, and how many beats and how many. He's going to talk about all these things, right? Who's on tune with who? and what, He's going to talk about all those things. And everyone's going to notice, like right now, they're like, oh, Alan, you do a fine job. I remember uh, Pearl was just saying that to me the other day. And I thought to myself, Wait until God brings somebody in who actually knows what they're doing. They're going to forget I even existed as far as leading music goes, right? Because this guy's going to blow them away. That's what happens in our homes. Moms can do a great job of filling those gaps when the dad is sloughing off on their responsibilities. But that doesn't mean that they're doing the job to the extent that it could be being done, right? It's not God's plan. Men and women have different natures. As much as people want to say that we don't, we do. And women cannot do everything that a man can do and vice versa. Right? They just can't. 
That's why the God ordained the home to be a man and a woman having a family, having children. So how do we keep ourselves from becoming this kind of parent, this kind of Christian? Well, let's maneuver through Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're not going to get through it all today and see what God would have us to learn. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Here's the great revelation. There's just one God, one Jehovah, one Lord. We know that. We're here today. We believe that. One God, one Jehovah, one Lord. Everybody is going to believe in something or some kind of God. But we're not just talking about the God, little g, of your choice here. Moses says the Lord God of Israel is unique. He is the only God. There is no other. So what's the great response? The great response is that there's one love. How should we respond to such a great revelation? Verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thine soul, and with all thine might. The great revelation, one Lord, the great response is that there is one love. And what kind of love? You are to love God with a sincere love. It says, with all thine heart. Jesus spoke of people who honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, Matthew 15, 8. Do you know what your children need to see you do at your house? They need to see a sincere love for God. They do not need to see perfection because that's impossible to attain. They need to see that you have a sincere love for God. They need to see you a burning, passionate, emotionally sincere when it comes to the things of God. Kids can spot a phony from a mile away. I promise you that. Kids can spot someone who is phony from a mile away, and they know whether or not you love God with all your heart. It is the phonies of parents, you know, by and large, the phoniness of parents that turns kids off to things of God. The parents that say one thing and do another when the, with the things of God. My five children absolutely know that I am not perfect. They know that. Um, but if you ask them, they will tell you that their dad is at least not a phony. At least I would hope they would say that. That their dad is not a phony. They know that I love God with a sincere love. Do I make mistakes? Yes. Do I get angry when I should not? Yes. Right? Do I react in the way that I should all the time? No. Am I perfect? No. But do I love God? Do I strive to serve God? Do I strive to, to lead my family in loving the Lord? Yes. You're also to love God with a selfless love. With all thine soul, it says in verse 5. Your soul is yourself, your being, with everything that you are. What is Moses saying here? To love God with your whole self, the totality of your being. I'm not trying to be like overly spiritual here, but that's what you're supposed to do. I'm not trying to be dramatic. That's just what it says. It's not me saying it. It's Moses saying it. God's word, inspired word, saying it with your whole being. If they're telling you to do it, that should mean that you should be able to do it. Your whole self needs to be given to God. There needs to be no air in your life that is off limits to God. God, you can have everything in my life, but when I'm at work, I have to act like a certain person. When I am around my family, I have to act different. When I'm around my friends, right? When I'm in church, I won't talk about anything bad, but when I'm at home, I'll watch all of that. I'll talk about all of that. I'll listen to all of that. We could pretty well measure the spiritual love of men or women by looking 
at two books in their home, their checkbook and their date book. I don't think people have books anymore. Maybe their calendar on their phone. Their bank account and their calendar, right? How you spend your money and how you spend your time says a lot about how selfless of a love you have for God. It does. Think about that statement for a second. Finally, we're commanded to love God with a strong love, with all thy might. That means every inch, every ounce, every nerve, every sinew of your body. But Moses is not just talking here about physical strength, right? Like your muscles. This includes any kind of strength that you have. Your emotional strength. Your financial strength. Your intellectual strength. You are to use it all in loving God. All of it. So, the great responsibility, one law. There's one thing I want you to see in Deuteronomy chapter 6, because we have a great revelation of the one Lord who demands this great response of love. There's also the great responsibility, right? There's one law. There's one Lord, one love, one law. Verse 6 and 7 of this tremendous passage give us our great responsibility. And these words, beginning in verse 6, and these words which I command thee this day, right? not ten suggestions, ten commandments, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest in thy way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So your house is to essentially be a law school, right? Much more important than any Harvard law could be. You're to teach the law of God. The professors are to be a mom and dad, but primarily dad, as we've talked about already. We saw earlier in verse 2 that the primary emphasis is upon the father. Now, if you're from a broken home or you're a single parent trying to raise your children alone, I don't want to discourage somebody from that. I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. That does not mean that the mother or the single father or whatever is, is any less. After each of the next ten lessons, in which we'll study the Ten Commandments at a time in detail, you're gonna, I'm going to give you guys some, some practical ways that maybe we can look at these things and, and do them in our home. My desire is to help and, and you know, unhinder you. But I'm saying that something has to be done about our house, our homes today. There are powerful forces trying to shape and mold the mentality of today's youth. And they're coming across, and people are really believing that lie today time for us to wake up and smell the coffee. Our homes are to be law schools where God's commandments are taught. The professors in this law school, they're primarily fathers. The students are the children, and class is already in session. So we need to, we need to get going. Teaching 10 great secrets. I want to give you five ways, and we are probably only going to get to number one. We're going to close here in just a minute. I want to give you five ways you can teach your children God's plan as taught in the Ten Commandments. But before I do that, let me encourage you to start training your children now. Training them now. Wherever you are, whatever point in what my wife always refers to as when you're raising kids as the trenches, right? Wherever you are in that trench warfare that's called parenting young children and teenage children today, haven't been doing this before, you need to start doing it now. It's not too late. You can't begin too early when it comes to teaching the things of God. So let's consider five ways to 
teach the Ten Commandments drawn from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9. Here's verses 6 through 9. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of the house and onto the gate. Number one is teach them convincingly. Teach them convincingly. How do you teach the Ten Commandments in your home? You teach them convincingly. Those of verse six that these words are to be in your heart first. If you don't believe something, if you don't practice it, just hang it up because you're never going to be able to teach it to somebody else. Don't send your children to Sunday school or to the local Christian school and think that you can just wipe your hands and it's clean. Just because your kids go to Sunday school doesn't mean that they're living for the Lord. I used to tell parents when I was a pastor back home that I'm not, it's not my responsibility to ultimately teach their children. I will do everything that I can. But my job ultimately is to as a pastor, pastor's job here for your children, that Sunday school teacher that's back there right now, their job is to build upon the foundation that you have built at your own home already. And when there is some sort of an issue, pastors can counsel. Teachers can talk to kids. But ultimately, when I would counsel a kid as a pastor, I would talk to that kid as much as possible, right? When he would come to me and talk to me in my office or she would come and talk to my wife and I in my office we would talk and my one of my first things I would say as we were about to close when are we talking to your parents about this it is not for me to keep kids secrets and it is for their parents to know and be able to work through with their children and I used to tell them look I can give you Nicole and I would talk sometimes be like we'll give them two days day and I would tell them we'll give you this amount of time to think of how you're going to talk to your parents about this or else I'm going to talk to them myself they're children they weren't given to God to me to raise that's a responsibility of of the parents God has given children to parents to raise there's nowhere in the Bible that says youth pastors will raise your children right no it doesn't say that God's truth has to be in your heart. Certainly, I, you know, I have a teaching responsibility as a pastor. Um, pastor does here, but my role is to support the teaching in the home, not to substitute for it. And God's truth has to be in your heart. You can't teach it convincingly to your children unless you yourself are convinced. So we're going to stop there. We've got a couple more points in this lesson, then we're going to go right into the first commandment. All right? So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Any questions on anything that we've talked about today? Okay, that's good. That means I was clear as mud, I guess. All right, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we've had to look into your word. Lord, as we go over these next several weeks, looking at your Ten Commandments and looking at principles thereof, we ask that you can be with the individuals that are here in this class, that you can help them to grow, that you can help me to grow. Lord, that you can help this class to grow in number, or if people are going to watch on their computer, on their smartphone, or something like that, we ask that you can assist with that. 
and that you can put your word in their heart and let them see what their homes can be. That if there are individuals who are running into tough times today, that you can show them that it doesn't have to be that way. That if you have people who have young children, that we can show them what your word says about raising those children. And that if maybe even if someone here doesn't have children, they aren't married, whatever it is, that they can see the importance of the Ten Commandments and how they're supposed to live out these truths in their lives and how they're supposed to live a life of integrity, a life of love for you, and, and giving all of themselves to you at all times. Lord, we thank you so much for everything that you have done for this church and will continue to do. We ask that you can dismiss us now with your blessing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So next week we'll start where we left off. You guys are dismissed. We've got a few minutes before church starts, so go ahead and greet each other. There's coffee in the back. Thank you.